You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 10. From homeless to starting many successful ventures, Mayan Gordon is a social media consultant, speaker, and glassblower. With over 1.7 million followers on TikTok, Mayan has built several loyal audiences by always providing emotional value. In this episode, she reveals tips on growing your TikTok account, how she navigated entrepreneurship after dropping out of college, and how her curiosity has opened doors to new opportunities. Visit tiktokabc.com to get Mayan's TikTok Masterclass. At this time, it is 50% off. In the meantime, continue listening to hear how Mayan is building passive income and how she and her husband literally blew themselves up. Literally. The No Formula Podcast offers a glimpse into the lives of real entrepreneurs who possess a variety of experiences and backgrounds. Through raw conversations, learn about their passions, journeys, setbacks, and milestones. Join host Laura L. Bernhardt as she confirms that there is, in fact, no formula to success. Get inspired and stay motivated throughout your entire journey. Subscribe today. Mayan, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I kind of just want to ask you what you're doing right now because you're not you're not in your hometown right now. You're in California? I am. Yeah, I'm down in Ventura, California. Actually, I just drove down to Thousand Oaks to buy a book because they were out of it at the Ventura Barnes and Noble. So I went down mm-hmm. to Thousand Oaks just to get this book. Um, and I was able to do that because I'm in a travel trailer right now um, that I'm essentially living out of while I'm being kind of a digital nomad, um, mm-hmm. working on all these kind of different projects from social media to promoting my glass blowing business. What book did you go get? It's called Rare Breed, and I was recommended it by a couple of people who said that this book really, really stood out to them. And then I learned a bit about the authors. Um, and I have just like a lot of similarities to these authors that I had to read the book. Um, one of them was going to be a veterinarian and dropped out of veterinary school to start up her marketing agency. And I dropped out of college with dreams of being a vet also to kind of get into copywriting and start up my um, you know, entrepreneur career. So I'm very interested to, to read the book. Oh, that's very interesting. So you dropped out of college and, and then what did you do after that? Yeah, so I dropped out of college, um, one, because I was making money in a way that I didn't even really know was possible, and that was through copywriting and just all sorts of writing gigs that I was finding off of Craigslist. So I would go to the, like Seattle and the Los Angeles Craigslist sections, um, the gig section, and then find all these, you know, write a blog for a 500-word blog for $30. And I was like, okay, great. And I have really um, fast touch typing skills, so I can type between like 80 and 100 words per minute, and I've always been really good at writing. So it made a lot of sense for me to be able to do this for side money while I was in college. And while I was doing that, I really realized that I was enjoying it much, much more than I was enjoying my classes, which I was paying money for. I was like, why? Am I paying money for something I don't enjoy when I'm actually getting paid to do something I do enjoy? And so I made like a really hard pivot. I dropped out. I started, um, you know, just doing this copywriting and learning more about what other options there were for making money online and in ways that I'd never thought of before. I think it's super brave that you made such a big pivot and you were leveraging your skills. Not everyone can say that they can do that. So I commend you for that. 
Thank you. Yeah, I think it definitely, um, you know, I had the advantage of I'd just met my um, boyfriend, who's now my husband, uh, several months before, like three or four months before. And we'd had this long distance relationship because he lived in Seattle and I met him when I was on um, summer break back from college. And so I, I kind of had this support system um, and uh, also kind of an emotional reason to want to drop out aside from the other emotional reasons of like not mm -hmm. enjoying school and feeling that it wasn't just right for me. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess that that does help, but it's great that you had someone to there to support you as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it, it was very like, like you said, it was very scary. Um, yeah. My parents, my parents were always like very, very heavy into education. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I knew that they were very proud of me for going to this school and that they'd be very unhappy when I dropped out. Um, and that's the thing, honestly, that caused me the most stress. It wasn't even anything to do with school. It was just the fact of like, disappointing my parents and like the all these people who I knew really cared about me and would be disappointed by it but mm -hmm. I'm I'm really glad that I did and you know my parents eventually got over it and are very proud of me now um so to anyone who is worried about that like it might it might be very hard when it happens but I think in the long run you end up so much happier yeah oh I'm glad that turned out well for you that's awesome and then after, so you're doing this copywriting, and then from what I know, you started a business from that? Yeah, so it's been like just a really interesting winding road of, I guess, me following my passions um, and just really staying true to figuring out what works for me and not anyone else. And so after, um, after doing copywriting for a little bit, what ended up happening was kind of like a life crisis because me and my <laughs> me and my boyfriend blew ourselves up in a gas explosion um, in the wait, house wait. that we were renting. Wait, wait, wait. Like literally blew yourself up? Yeah. So like literally um, we had been making um, BHO, which if you don't know what that is, it's marijuana concentrate. And this is when like this was a first a thing and everyone was kind of, all the stoners were kind of doing this. I grew up in Seattle. So um, Seattle's notoriously been like a very marijuana friendly place even before mm -hmm. they legalized. And so um, I've always been a bit into uh, the cannabis scene and industry because when I was 16, my parents let me go to Mexico for a summer all by myself. And that's kind of where I tried it out for the first time. And then being a teenager, um, you know, it was something very new and exciting for me. And then I came back to Seattle and it's, it's kind of just everywhere. So it was very mm -hmm. easy for me to um, get a hold of. And I really liked kind of the social aspect of it as well. Um, and I, I had kind of a harder time, I would say, making friends as a kid and going up, growing up through um, high school. So that social connection for me um, was something I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. And so we were essentially, you know, making this, this marijuana concentrate and you use butane to do it. You basically will shove a bunch of like really cheap dirt, like not good marijuana down a, a tube, like a metal pipe that you can get from Home Depot. And then mm -hmm. you cover it up in push butane, uh, liquid butane through it. And then at the bottom, you basically have this um, solution that is butane and THC. That's it, just like concentrated THC. You then evaporate the butane and you're left with between like 70% and 99% pure THC. Um, and then you consume this kind of the same way you would uh, smoking marijuana, but you have to heat it up at a higher temperature. So what happened was we were doing this outside, um, but our door was open when we would do it to our house and mm -hmm. the draft from the air would blow the butane into 
our, our house over time it, because butane is a heavy gas and so it sinks to the floor. And okay. so what happened was we couldn't see, but over time, over the course of maybe a year, butane had just kind of like leaked into the house on the floor and sat there until one day we were cooking on the stove and an explosion happened. So it was basically like a giant fireball that um, blew out the windows. It popped the roof off from the walls, but it did, the roof didn't go anywhere. It just, you know, broke the roof from the walls. So you could see a line all the way around the house. Um, and then it also, you know, it burned me and my husband pretty significantly. So um, my husband had been kind of standing in front of me while we were cooking. Um, and he got not third degree burns, but kind of very serious second degree burns over, um, I think it was like possibly 20% of his body. So he ended up having to go to the ICU and stay there for, I think, uh, two days, maybe it was three days before they put him into the kind of regular care burn unit. Um, and then he was there for about a week and a half. Um, I got discharged after the first night, but then had some like blister complications I had to come back for. And I was kind of there the whole time that he was also um, in the hospital. So this was like incredibly disruptive, obviously, to our life. Um, and then also a huge financial change that I hadn't been prepared for, hadn't ever thought of. Um, definitely when I was younger, you know, between the ages of 17 and, you know, 21, I didn't plan ahead. You know, I was thinking like today and tomorrow and like maybe next year. Um, so I hadn't, we hadn't, we didn't have renter's insurance because um, I didn't really know that that was a smart thing to do. Um, it was, our, you know, it was, it was our first place renting together. Um, mm -hmm. And and then, you know, I hadn't saved any of the money that I was making because I just didn't think I needed to for any reason. I was like, everything's yeah. going to be great. Like life's going great right now. Um, and so for, I would say two and a half, three weeks, I was really just focused on like, okay, my boyfriend's in the hospital, like my legs hurt, like dealing with that you know my family's really not happy especially now i dropped out of college and then I blew myself up like that's not good <laughs> not oh my us. god <laughs> and so i was just trying to i think emotionally get through all of that and yeah because i wasn't pursuing work during those three weeks um i really lost the ability to get these freelance jobs and maintain like the relationships where it had made it easy for me to do that mm -hmm. um and so after that we basically didn't have any money and i decided for us that it was a bad idea to stay in the rental because it was very expensive being in Seattle. Um, and that we would basically buy an RV and go down to California where I had gone to college because it's just, it's kind of very easy to be down in California and be homeless much more than it is up in Seattle. If you have an RV, um, yeah. if you park anywhere within like an hour, the cops will come tell you to move in Seattle. Cause people are like very finicky mm -hmm. about you parking anywhere. Um, versus in California, there's like all these big streets and there's like tons of RVs and no one really cares. Um, so we went down and parked right next to the school so that I would still get Wi-Fi because I had my laptop and then I had my library card so I could like go access the really nice library and resources and use their printer. And we basically, that's where we started up our business together. Um, and that business was, a, we made a product and it was a smoking product called diffuser beads where we basically purchased airsoft BBs in, I think it was seven or eight different colors. And then we repackaged them, uh, made a couple color mixes as well and threw a nice label on there and sold them to smoke shops and to stoners. And so that's where I hopped on to Instagram and really started like marketing and doing sales through so social media. Um, and then it's kind of been a, a fun long journey up till now. Okay, so my jaw has been dropped for, I don't know, about five minutes now. 
<laughs> I did not know that part of your story. That is that is a heck of a story. I am so glad you got through that and you really show that there is no reason that you can go out and do anything you want. You you're the poster child for there's there should be nothing stopping you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I hope to be. So you start this diffuser beads mm-hmm. kind of company. How long did that last for and how how did you grow it? Yeah, so we sold that product for about two and a half years um, and really went all in on it for two years solid before we kind of, I don't know, got burnt out on this, you know, one product and something. It was just a smoking product. Like it didn't have real value other than it was fun, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I've always had a very, very deep desire to um, put my efforts and energies into things that do more than just make money. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I, I said, okay, this probably isn't the end all of what I ever want to do. Like now's a good time after we kind of made, we made enough money to start renting a house again. Um, and I was like, okay, this isn't what I want to do. Let's try something else. Uh, I didn't have, we didn't have like enough money to really start a new business. Um, so I just relied on skills that I already had. So I went, okay, I don't want to necessarily pursue the writing again. Um, like I was doing before, but I, in that amount of time got really good at graphic design and I had Photoshop, um, and a couple other softwares that at the time were relatively expensive. Um, and having them alone was like kind of the resource that I needed to start the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that at first. I was just like, let me see if I can create some stickers and people will buy the stickers. Cause I heard that that was a thing, um, that like, you know, a lot of people just would buy stickers for one to $5 cause they collect them. So mm-hmm. I made a couple designs, I posted them up, and people went, those are really cool, but could you print my stickers? I went, well, sure, I guess if I was going to print my own stickers, I don't see a reason I couldn't print you stickers and just charge a little extra. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that, and you know, every time I would post, hey, I just created these stickers for so-and-so's business, um, it would just kind of promote myself and get more work out of it. And so that was pretty steady and solid for um, about a year and a half, two years as well. But I I also got very burnt out and we also expanded to doing t-shirts for people. Um, But it's just a lot of manual, like cutting stickers, peeling vinyl, um, you know, doing graphic design. And it wasn't something that I saw that we could scale um, in an easy way. Mm -hmm. The the competitors in that industry have pieces of equipment that are, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not a million plus dollars that spit out stickers incredibly fast and incredibly high quality and they can do it for super low. So I just didn't see being able to compete on a level where I didn't have to give up like all of my time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I said, okay, what should we do now? And because I was making a lot of stickers for glass blowers and actually doing a lot of barter with them, where instead of charging them a hundred dollars for, you know, a thousand stickers, I would get three to $400 worth of glass and then sell it for two to $300. Um, and it was a win-win situation because it was costing them less in terms of actual money because, you know, the materials on their, their finished work was, you know, maybe $20 instead of $100. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I was getting a win out of it also because instead of getting 100 cash, I was getting the product that I had to put a little work into sell, selling it, but then could get, you know, double possibly like 200 out of it. So then you were selling their glass bowl, their, their, yeah, that's what it's called, right? Glass blowing? Glass pieces, yeah. So glass just, pieces. Yeah, glass pieces. Um, and again, all these all these glass blowers were making like pipes and like some of them were pendants, but 
this was back when pipes were were like really big and these dab dab tools which is um dabbing is what you do with the concentrate that i was kind of talking about before it's like a mm -hmm. different it, it requires different utensils let's say um i'm glad you're explaining it to me thank you <laughs> yeah and, and so i i came into glassblowing at a time in the industry where there was opportunity um, and I think that that's something really important for people to think about who are starting new businesses is some industries inherently have more opportunity mm -hmm. or are more or are more competitive than other ones. And so even just picking the right uh, niche within an industry can give you a huge leg up depending on, you know, what what business you're trying to create. Um, and so for me, it worked out really well that these these dab concentrates had just become something that the bigger companies were producing. So, you know, for the first two, three years, everyone was making it at home the way that I was. There weren't, there wasn't like a, a reliable producer that you could like a farm, like, you know, forgetting marijuana, if you don't know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of very reliable farms now that have licenses that do testing that, you know, the product is like a high quality product and doesn't have pesticides and like mold and things like that. Okay. Um, but with, um, and those have been a around for a long time, even before full legalization, because medical marijuana has been a thing for a lot longer than um, fully legalized has. And so these farms were part of this medical system. Um, and so, and that's where a lot of the black market, let's call it marijuana sales would come from anyways, mm -hmm. is they, they were still getting it from a really great farm. Uh, but when every, when kind of people figured out how to make this new concentrate, everyone was just making it at home or in their backyard or like wherever. Um, there weren't any like big machines that produced it at a large scale. And then over the past, you know, 10 years, there've been um, people who've created like these extraction machines and like all these different kind of um, things to support a really high quality product. And so once that started happening, one, there started to be a lot more of it available for people. Um, and then two, people were much more interested to try it because it was, safer and kind of a higher quality product. Um, and this created a huge demand for these new like utensils that you needed. So you can't um, inhale the concentrates out of a regular pipe. You need something that's similar to a bong, but it has a quartz piece to it that you can heat up because quartz retains heat. And so then you could vaporize this concentrate. Um, the concentrate doesn't catch fire the same way that like marijuana flour does. So people, there were like thousands and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who all wanted these products so that they could try this new type of marijuana. But there were very few glass blowers back then. Um, and so we fell right into this, this niche that we could kind of tap into. And then coupled with my marketing skills that I learned with the diffuser beads, I was able to do very well with the glass blowing right away. That, what a great story <laughs> from what I learned from everything you just told me is that you were really good at leveraging the skills that you had, that you were very much paying attention to the market and how things were growing in some markets. And also when you knew that you had to leave some, for example, the stickers, and then you also use your resources when you can have them. So uh, it's just really impressive that you were able to maneuver through so many different projects and make them succeed for you 
Yeah, and I think a lot of it wasn't necessarily like foresight, but more just mm-hmm. a willingness to dive in and then adjust based on what I saw. So even though I didn't, before I got into the stickers, I didn't think it was a very good idea. I was still willing to put myself out there and say, hey, this is what I'm doing now. Does anyone you know, have a need for this? Um, because then I could gauge the response and then adjust and adapt very quickly. Um, I've never been one who's afraid of, I guess, making a mistake online um, because people have kind of, all, I've always, I guess, lived in an environment of mostly hate online until I guess very recently. Um, And I think a lot of people can relate to this. Like the internet has become a much more positive uh, place in the past couple years. But Mm -hmm. I I remember when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, like there was just so much negativity. And it was like a lot of people would go on there just to be hateful. Um, And so being a female, I think I've been a lot, a young female who's trying to do things. I've always been a lot more prone to, attack online. And I've, I've noticed that same story from other uh, female entrepreneurs who kind of got into it early is that there's just like an incredible amount of opposition um, mm-hmm. of you're, you're not smart enough, you're too young, um, and you're a woman. So like, what do you know? <laughs> um, and so I think that really, that tough love early on and my real commitment to not letting that stop me forced me to figure out how to deal with it and not let it affect me. Um, and so that's definitely been a big asset for me um, in the you know past years. Yeah, well, you're proving them wrong, that's for sure. So yeah, definitely. You built diffuser beads, the stickers, the glass pieces. What is the secret to growing all these businesses? What was your secret? Yeah, so I think my secret was always to think about what the customer emotionally was going through and then mm-hmm. be able to provide them some emotional value. Um, no matter what my product or service ever was to notice how they were um, messaging me. And this is something I think I've just always been really fascinated with words and thoughts um, and mm-hmm. the connection between the two and how powerful both those things are. And so I just really over time paid attention to w- the way that people talk to you both in person and through messaging. And you, you actually can study it much more through messaging because you can look at someone's message and think about why they use those words or what mood they might be in or what you know may have caused them to kind of have that very specific tone when they messaged you. Um, and so I just always paid a lot of attention and then really, I guess, made little adjustments in how I was communicating with people. And that's been the biggest, I think, reason for my success, Um, especially on Instagram. A lot of that success has come through direct messaging with people, not necessarily because my posts are so much like better quality pictures or that my caption writing is so much better. I think honestly, there's tons of amazing caption writing on Instagram and there's tons of amazing, amazing photos and videos. It's very, very saturated. Mm -hmm. And so what made people really want to follow my page for years and purchase from me um, again and again, even a product that they had absolutely no need for was the fact that I was giving them an emotional value that they weren't getting other places. So they were messaging a business and that business was taking the time to ask them how their weekend was or remember something else from a previous conversation and bring that up. Um, And that's what really has developed kind of a loyal following with me is me saying, I'm not just here to get your money, but I'm here to really serve you in 
any capacity that I can, so much to the point that I'm specifically developing skills to notice what you need without you even having to tell me. It's very interesting that you describe your relationship with your customers as emotional. I'm wondering, can you give an example of how you might have used this strategy in one of your businesses? Yeah, so it's been probably the biggest tool of my glassblowing business um, in terms of I post a lot of lifestyle content on my Instagram feed, um, Mm -hmm. especially to my stories. And doing that has allowed customers to feel very open about communicating with me because I'm showing them one, a lot of different aspects of my life into them. That's very inviting. Um, Mm -hmm. And then two, I also do post very specifically content that says, Hey, if you're having a bad day, please send me a message. Um, Hey, if you're struggling with this, here's a tip on how I deal with it. Um, And that posting those things, even if someone doesn't want to message me right now or has no need, they're like, they see that and it sticks with them. Um, And it encourages them to communicate with me on a different level than they would if I was only posting about my product or just my business. Um, And I think people, you know, people love people. People don't love businesses. Like Mm -hmm. there's nothing about a business that you can ever fall in love with. It's the people behind the business. And I think that I've always been really aware of that because of my own interactions um, and just paying attention to, like I think probably one one thing that's influenced me a lot is I love to go out to eat, and mm-hmm. I've had I've had so many times I've been out at restaurants um, with a varying range of experiences because of the server. So there's been times I've been to a restaurant and spent a lot of money and felt really disappointed in the entire evening because the service wasn't good. And then there's been times when. Um, we went to a place and maybe spent either a very small amount of money or spent a lot of money and felt like we couldn't have spent enough money because it was the most amazing night of our lives because of how like the server added to everything else that we were already feeling and trying to experience. Um, so I've always been like really hyper aware at how giant an effect um, service can have and communication and also just like authenticity and not in the way where I think a lot of people are are saying it where like you're trying to put on a persona but the just the authenticity of service um so and again this especially comes through I think with um restaurant service because Mm -hmm. if you go to enough restaurants you'll notice that some people are very good at their job of being polite but you can feel that they don't want you to have the most amazing night of your life the way that some of these other servers not only are they good at it but you can feel this energy they want you to be happy and that that real desire and intention behind whatever it is they're doing is the x factor of of things being normal to amazing um and so i've always tried to put that x factor into whatever i'm doing and pay attention to if i'm not doing it because i think the only time that a person would not want to do that is when you get lazy. Um, And we all get lazy because our lives are very busy and exhausting, but I think that it's much, much more fulfilling to put in that little bit of extra effort and feel that amount of fulfillment than it is to just, you know, feel that extra comfort or kind of laziness. Yeah. It's about the intention. I like that. That can be your slogan. I feel like you can, you can use that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I I think that's the key. Out of everything you just told me, I feel like, and even I have had 
several conversations with other entrepreneurs and and I've asked them like how did you grow how did you you know why are you successful how did this happen and I've never gotten like intentional in terms of the x factor as in like being intentional in every single one of your posts yeah yeah absolutely um and I think it's taking it to the maximum of that, not just being intentional with my posting, but being intentional with every message I send to a customer. Mm-hmm. Did I put, did I put extra into that message? Mm-hmm. Um, and even I, I'm not perfect. Certainly like there's times I'll still write thanks instead of going, <laughs> thank, thank you, John, or, or <laughs> typing out a three, three sentences, like, you know, going, thank you, John, like this message really meant a lot to me. And I hope you're having a great weekend. Those are all completely different levels of intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I'm always trying to push myself to be more intentional because I don't think there really is a limit to that, even to the capacity where you say, okay, but I can't spend an hour messaging every single person who messages me. No, but you can create a system that allows you to accomplish that same level of interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you have the intention to do it. So I, am kind of trying to constantly push myself to do more. And then if I get to this limit where I feel like I can't do more, then I go, okay, create a system, figure out how it is possible. Because the only limit, like it's a little cheesy, but the only limit you put on yourself or that you have is the one you put on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, tr- I truly believe that because our brains are more, more advanced and more high powered than the biggest supercomputer that humans have ever built. Um, and that computer has the answer to like can answer anything. So for us to say like, Oh, I can't figure out how to be more efficient with my time Mm -hmm. when we have all these tools and technologies, I think that's a self limitation. That's not a true limitation. Yeah. The sky is the limit. Basically what you're saying. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned Instagram a few times and I know you're, you're huge on Instagram. Uh, I kind of want to get behind your strategy other than the intention is, is there like, a schedule that you follow? Are there certain tips that you can give the listeners to grow? Yeah, so I wouldn't, yeah, first of all, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm huge on Instagram. I have, <laughs> I would say like a, a decent following. So I've got one account with um, 42,000 followers and then another account with 39,000 followers. That's, 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 you know, you know what, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty, it's pretty decent. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, in the beginning when I was really focused on Instagram um, more, now I'm a little bit more focused on TikTok because that's where I have the 1.7 million followers mm-hmm. and then also LinkedIn because I'm getting a oh, lot we'll of get just, there. yeah, a lot yeah. of high powered kind of <laughs> connections out of that. Yeah. Um, but with Instagram, when I was really doing, I did have somewhat of a strategy. Um, and mm-hmm. I do think that you have to put in kind of a significant amount of effort to really pull off Instagram very well in terms of, yeah, having, saying how many posts you're going to do a day um, and kind of timing the posts to be when your audience is going to be on the platform. Because I think that that does matter more on Instagram than um, some of the other platforms is, you know, what time you're posting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think I really on Instagram centering your content and this is what I tried to do other than I was also very much focused on sales. So I would say a heavy amount of my posting used to be sales related. Um, and for me, that was an auction. I really like to do auctions on Instagram. So I'll post up a glass piece in video or picture form. And then in the description, I just kind of have the auction rules. So starting bid, $20, um, increments, $5 or more, end time, um, shipping cost, blah, blah, blah. And then I would kind of complete the transaction through direct messages. Um, so a lot of it was that. I don't think that that's the best for 
building a brand, although it was very helpful the way that I ran the style of auctions where the customers felt like they were getting extra value compared to how other people were doing it. Um, and so that was very beneficial. Um, but the three pillars that I was talking about are three E's. So education, entertainment, and empowerment. And if you can create one post for each of those categories every day to post on your Instagram, you'll probably do very, very well. Um, so education, the reason that that works really well is because that builds trust with your customer base. If you can post a fact or a piece of information that they can then go verify on Google or verify on an outside source, they go, oh, that company was telling me the truth and that builds a level mm -hmm. of trust. And then you do that enough times and you're able to convert someone into a skeptical customer into a loyal customer who no longer has to go out and verify anything you say because they believe you. You've never lied to them. They've verified pieces of information enough times and it's a waste of time. Like people are, people are naturally efficient. And so after you verify a couple times, you go, that person's my friend and they're telling me the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's a really powerful thing. And then empowerment, obviously, anytime you can empower your audience, they're going to love you for that. Um, when, you, when someone makes you feel like you're more, you have a, a connection that's very strong with that person or company. Um, and then entertainment, that one works really well because we're all going on social media to be entertained for the most part. We're not like, yeah. looking, we're not looking for the answers to math problems. <laughs> we're not, yeah. you know, we're, uh, we're pretty much going on there because we're bored in our regular life or because we have some emotional escape that we want. Um, so those are kind of the three types of posts that I think work really well. And then after you build these, these Instagram accounts, you, you make your way to TikTok. Yep. Tell me yep. a little bit about that transition and how you got started on that platform. Yeah, so the reason I jumped on there was because I had been growing really steadily and strong on Instagram for a while, and then it stopped growing. Um, to the First, it started growing more slowly, but then it stopped growing. And I was like, okay, this isn't very much fun anymore. Um, and because like, I'm, I'm very ambitious. I want to grow. And if I'm not growing at all, like that's not a good strategy to put all my energy into that thing. Yeah. Um, so I started experimenting with other platforms. I tried out a platform called Patreon, which is a paid video membership site. Um, and I tried out TikTok and I tried out Pinterest a little bit. Um, and TikTok just happened to kind of take off really very quickly. I think it was, you know, two weeks into my having downloaded or created an account and started posting videos um, where I got a viral hit that started getting millions of views. Um, and so that quickly made me pay a lot more attention and start putting more time and energy into learning about TikTok as a platform, experimenting with it. And um, it's just been kind of incredible the whole six months that I've been on there. You started six months ago. So now just to give everybody perspective, it's February, 2020. So you started at the end of 2019? Correct. Yeah. Um, the very end of August. Oh, wow. And in two, within two weeks, you had a viral vi video. Correct. What yeah. was that? What was the, what was the video? So it was a giant glass turtle um, <laughs> being put together by a team of like four to five different glass blowers. And it was very, very, very realistic looking. So that's part of why it went viral is in the comments, there were a bunch of people who thought that they were like murdering this turtle because <laughs> also, um, you know, this was right also when like save the turtles was kind of a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so everyone kind of latched on, but then there were a bunch of people who, you know, knew it wasn't a real turtle because like they were putting its fin onto the main body. Like it clearly wasn't, but you know, yeah. young kid, you know, it, it might've been, but it wasn't. So there's this big argument in the comments about 
whether it was a real turtle or just glass. Um, and because my account was so new, people didn't know like about about it yet to know, oh, well, duh, this is a glass account. So of course it's not a real turtle. Mm -hmm. um, and then it also tapped into this interesting subculture that TikTok has around Visco girls. So Visco, V-S-C-O, it's another app where you can kind of um, do different things to your face. Um, and they're developed from that, this whole type of girl that wears scrunchies, um, is all about metal straws and saving the turtles and has a hydro flask. So if you've ever heard of hydro flasks in the past year, that's because yeah. of TikTok and, and Visco girls. Okay. Um, so it tapped right into that culture. Um, people started like hashtag Visco girl and hashtag Visco. Um, and so it just, yeah, it blew up. I was fascinated by it. And I, then again, it was really great timing because after August is October and I had the idea, I was like, I wonder if I post a pumpkin on um, August, what's the last day of August, 30th or 31st. I was like, and with the caption, is it too early to, to get excited for Halloween? Let me see if that creates controversy. Cause I realized that the controversy in the comments was a big part of why it went viral. So I was like, okay, how can I create more like comment wars? Um, mm. And so I was like, okay, well, if I ask people if it's too early to be excited for Halloween and it's a full month and a day before, some people are gonna be like, yes. And some people be like, no, I love Halloween. Um, mm -hmm. And I was, I pretty much nailed that one on the head. Um, and people very much, for the most part, went, no, it's never too early for Halloween. I start getting excited the day that it ends. And that allowed me to both tap into that and realize that Halloween is the biggest holiday on the planet right now um, in terms of people wanting to spend money and participate in it on a global level. Um, from my experience this year, it's even bigger than Christmas. Um, and so I was able to tap into that vast amount of attention and love and excitement for Halloween with my glass pumpkin videos. And they're, they're very visual because the way that they do it is they take kind of a big long piece of hot glass and then they wrap it around a metal thing to create like the, the twisty vine of the pumpkin. Oh, and so it just okay. it looks really cool. Oh, I, I didn't see those. I've only looked at your, your profile like in the last month or so. I didn't go back to the Halloween. So I have to go, I have to go check that out. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about that is I've tried post posting pumpkin videos um, in the past month, several times, mm -hmm. and they don't do as well, which I think is a huge testament to the app's sensitivity on attention. The fact that it could somehow know that so many people were interested in Halloween when they were interested in Halloween and now knows that they're not, that they don't care about a pumpkin because they're not interested. Like they're, they don't really care about Halloween right now. They care about other things much, much more. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's very much very about timing. Timing is yeah. very, very important on the app. Yeah. If you can tap yeah. into something that has a lot of attention um, surrounding it, that's, I think, what's really going to make you go viral. From everything you just told me, it seems like something that has good timing and something controversial. If you put, post a video like that on TikTok, it should work. Yeah, I think so. As long as it's not too long. Um, I think yeah. if you start going more than 20 seconds, then no matter what it is, you can really fall off in terms of virality. Um, mm -hmm. But for, yeah, keeping it in that 10 to 15 second window, if it's controversial and, yeah, taps into a high attention factor of what's going on, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a ton of comments because kids can't help themselves. <laughs> I mean, adults almost can't help themselves, but I think about when you were a kid and someone, you know, picked an argument with you. You couldn't help but argue back. You're like, no, yeah. no, no, on my points, you guys have to hear and listen to me. So <laughs> tap into that for sure. <laughs> 
you're experimenting on this app, how long does it take you to get to 1.2 million followers? I think it took me um, probably just, a, I would say two months. So after, in October, I gained between like six and 800,000 followers. October was freaking crazy because oh of these God, pumpkin videos. Oh my God, massive. Yeah. Um, and that's because I posted probably, I'll have to go back and look, but it's like between three and five pumpkin videos that got more than 10 million views each. And one of them has 53 million or 57 million views. And another one has like 40 something million views. So oh my gosh. <laughs> that came with a crap ton of followers. Um, and then after that, I would say for the next two months, um, it continued to grow to the 1.7. And then actually just very recently, um, it's very, very much plateaued. And I asked, I have kind of a coordinator who responds to my messages um, when you know every once in a while i'm um, from tiktok like they, they have a lot of work that they deal with so she gets back to me um usually within a couple days um and i asked her about it. i was like is this you know is this normal am i doing something wrong is there anything else that i could be doing um and she told me that it actually happens with a lot of creators because again the app is so sensitive to understand what your particular audience is that is loving your content mm -hmm. and there's a there's always going to be a cap on that um, and then also due to the fact, I think I really haven't tapped in to any new attention or mass sources of attention the way I did with Halloween. Mm -hmm. um, none of the other videos I've posted recently really, they're, like they're, they're just satisfying. They're not satisfying and touching on, you know, something that people also are excited about that has nothing to do with glassblowing. I think that that duality factor is really what makes things go viral, at least for my category. Um, mm -hmm. So like another example of that, a video that did really well was a group of glassblowers making a Frosty the Snowman. So like that one, that one did really well because I posted it, you know, maybe like early January or late December when it was getting really cold and just starting to snow and people were like a little bit more excited about snow. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, tapped into that, that attention factor, plus the, again, the image had to do with it. Um, and, and yeah, I think most of the stuff I've had recently is more just like, it, it's satisfying to watch, but doesn't touch on anything cultural. Yeah. How many times did you post a day? Um, so right now I post between, I would say one and four times a day. Um, but I'll delete a lot of videos if they are doing like shitty. Um, oh, really? because yeah, because it doesn't, like it's not going to change necessarily unless the attention factor changes. Um, and yeah. for that to happen, I think, again, there'd have to be something in my video to warrant that. So um, if it wasn't just like a glob of glass rolling on some color, let's say, if mm -hmm. it looked like an animal or looked like something more concrete, um, then I might leave it up even if it didn't do very well, because there might in the future be some attention factor that makes it do better. But um, if, it, if it's not doing if it's doing like super shitty, then it's just not a good video. Like, so I learned my lesson. I tried something out, experimented, but that wasn't a good video. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how, how many views do you have to get for you to be like, no, this is not good? Um, I would say if it's doing less than like 20 to 30,000 views in the first day, um, then I'm like, this was a pretty garbage video. <laughs> um, and I learned, and I learned, you know, I, I still want to look at it and think about maybe why it wasn't good or mm -hmm. what a lot of times instead of doing that, I'll think, okay, well, what would have made this video really good? Is there something I could have changed? Um, okay, let me try and apply that to a different video. Um, so but there's I'm always also, a reflection. It's always yes, like, oh, yes, okay. always reflection. Um, and I use it, I would say at this point much more as, um, a, a learning tool than I do, 
Like I'm not using it to generate sales on like on purpose. I have gotten some sales out of it. Um, mm-hmm. but that's more just people being like, that is so cool. How do I buy it? And then I'm like, well, you can email me. Um, okay. But- yeah. So that was my next question. Are <laughs> you're getting so many views on every single one of your videos? Is it translating into sales for you? Yeah. So it has, um, in a way where it's not an amount of sales that would pay all my bills, but it's an amount of sales that's certainly nice. And I charge a much higher price from my TikTok than I do on my Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's pretty cool. Um, and then I would say, again, it really all depends on what what your goals are. My goals right now are not to sell a bunch of glass pieces, which some people might think that that's kind of strange, but I think that there's a lot more value that I can personally gain um, long-term for my brands and my businesses by learning what makes my audience happy first and then trying to sell them stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to be very, very patient in terms of not really pushing anything on the audience, but um, inter- really seeing as an interaction between, okay, do you guys like this? Let me learn from it. Okay, like who is my audience? What is it that they like? Um, how can I provide them value? And then I think from that, a lot more sales are going to come in a way that I'm not able to think of creatively right now because I don't know the audience well enough on the platform. Yeah, I love that, that you're, value- you're, you're putting a lot of value in the learning aspect of it. Yes, exactly. Well, you're doing a great job. Like, well, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, no, 1.7 million is not yeah, bad, right? <laughs> I, I think, man, yeah, it's not too shabby. <laughs> I, I, I started a TikTok account like a month ago just to see what all the hype was about. And I can see why people spend hours on that app. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Because it's 15-second videos, right? You can go yeah. through hundreds of them, right? Yeah, exactly. But I tried creating a few of them and I got 14 likes and I was like, oh my God, I'm so popular. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. And that's the cool thing is I think, um, you know, like I'm, I'm already desensitized to the numbers, but I remember when I jumped on even the first couple posts I did with, you know, from zero followers that were, I was like, wow, this video got like 800 views and I have nine followers. Like that's crazy cool. Um, and I think it's really exciting to explore just the potential of the app and, you know, think even when you're just getting 14 hearts to like, you know, I'm, I'm curious, curious enough to like click on each one of those people's profiles and be like, Oh, how interesting. It's like an 18, it's like an 18 year old boy or, Oh, how interesting. It's a seven year old girl who just followed me. Like why did my content connect with that person? Like, I think it's just a really interesting tool to learn and observe people's behavior from. Um, Even if you're not creating content, you can go and look at other people's content and the comments Mm -hmm. on those and the people who are commenting on them and like what they're saying and just learn so much from that. I I love how observant you are of everything that you do. Like you go look at every person who liked your video or the people that you've connected with. I think it's helped you throughout your whole journey. And I'm starting to see like that trend with every story that you're telling me. And I'm yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. Definitely lots of observation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm just telling myself like, I should be doing this more. <laughs> just observing and learning like the patterns and why are people doing this as opposed to that? And I, I like that. I very much like that. Yeah. I think for me, it's honestly made work a lot more fun. Um, I think a lot of things that businesses have to do, especially when it comes to social media, can feel really boring if they don't have this purpose behind them. You know, mm-hmm. aside aside from I know I have to do it to make money. Um, that's that's the like least motivating. Money is the least motivating thing, and I, <laughs> this is coming from someone who I freaking love money. Like I love <laughs> I love spending money. I love 
you know, the nice things that money buys. I love the way that money makes you feel. Um, but the motivation that comes from money, I think is very small because yeah. money doesn't get you. It's like the house you want or the nice dinner or the experience or the travel. Um, and so for me, I had to figure out, okay, if I took away all those things, if I took away everything material, what would still make me want to work hard at things? And I was mm -hmm. like, you know, learning about people, like if I really could learn about how people worked and how we think and in like the complexities and the details, that would be really cool outside of anything material. Um, and would make my life really fulfilling because I'd have this unique ability to connect with people in a way that felt really good to me and felt really good to them. Um, and I think that's really kind of why we're here is to figure out how to connect with each other so that we can create things that are vastly um, more, have more value and opportunity than we can on our own. And I think everyone knows that. I mean, look at all the things that big companies have done because they have a hundred or a thousand people compared to like, would one person have been able to do that at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So kind of just moving through all your success in the digital space. Now you're also on LinkedIn. How did you get into that and how are you leveraging that platform today? Yeah. So I, I got into it again, just um, from my habits of curiosity and experimentation. So I've listened to Gary Vee for years now. <laughs> and um, the reason I jumped on TikTok was because he kept talking about it. And I all mm -hmm. of a sudden was hungry for a new opportunity. And Have once, you ever messaged him and told him that your um, success I've, was because yeah, of I'm him? Sure, I'm sure I've um, messaged him a couple times. I don't, mm -hmm. think he's seen, I don't think he's seen any of my oh, messages. Well, yeah. I, I message him on Instagram. I think that's probably where he gets the most amount of messages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I should reach out to him on Twitter. I know he is much more responsive and engaging on there, mm -hmm. uh, but I've just kind of started getting more active into that platform. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so excited for you to destroy that platform and let me know how you did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. It's a new challenge to figure out. I love it. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, I started doing really well on TikTok. And so I went, okay, well, he's also been talking about LinkedIn. Like I'd also, I'd heard him talk about those things together quite often. Like, hey guys, you should be on TikTok and LinkedIn, TikTok mm -hmm. and LinkedIn. So I went, I better get on LinkedIn right away <laughs> and see what's up. Um, and so I just, I hopped on there. And the first thing I noticed was that it was a completely different platform than the one I had been familiar with because I actually, when I um, dropped out of college and started copywriting, I created a LinkedIn account. And back then it was essentially like a black book or a, uh, like everyone's page was like a resume. Um, yeah. you, there was no posting feature. Like it didn't, you couldn't post a post. Um, you couldn't post pictures or videos. It was just, you could contact people. Um, and for me to see that it looked very, very similar to Facebook and had all these Facebook like features. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Let me see how this works. So I just started posting content that I thought, um, had some amount of value based off my other business experience from Instagram. And, I noticed that people were engaging right away. Even if my posts were only getting, um, you know, a hundred views or 200 views, there was certainly a lot of engagement for that low level of, of, uh, tension. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I started just really enjoying it right away. Like I love talking to business people. Um, I think running my glass blowing business, I really lacked kind of, uh, intellectual stimulation on a whole, not, not to, put kind of stoners into a category, but in terms of my interactions with them, they mm -hmm. were, they wanted to talk about art. Um, they wanted to talk about how pretty something looked or, mm -hmm. you know, how cool something was. It wasn't like, we weren't talking about business or about theories or ideas, um, or anything like that. So 
right away I was like, oh, I love LinkedIn because here's some amazing stimulating conversation. And I, you know, was starting to learn a lot just from reading other people's posts of like, oh, cool, this guy works in this industry. And, you know, people post a lot of valuable content, I think, right now on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so I started just spending more time on that platform uh, because I liked reading the information. You know, it was better than like any news app that I had been using. Yeah. Um, so now looking back, I realized I had been probably spending 30 minutes to an hour a day on various news apps that I've downloaded, um, kind of picking up tidbits of information that I'm interested in, in the health field, in the technical field, in stocks, politics, whatever. Um, and all of a sudden I was like, Ooh, I really enjoy this LinkedIn content much more and kind of shifted all that, that energy to that. Um, and just kept at it every day and started connecting with people who I was really impressed that they wanted to connect with me on any level. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's just, I've always followed where I'm interested in and I've always had a lot of interest around other people's success and how they got there and learning from them. And it's just been kind of, again, um, sky's the limit on, on LinkedIn because I've been getting lots and lots of podcast opportunities, um, speaking engagements, uh, monetization opportunities. So it's, it's been great. What do you mean by monetization opportunities? So for example, um, I am in the process right now of publishing an ebook, which will be my first ebook. Very exciting. Ooh. Um, and I'm really only able to do that right now so quickly with everything else that I've got going on because I was able to find a partner who reached out to me on LinkedIn who has a, a kind of vast amount of experience in software development and launching products and has been around through all the kind of uh, internet marketing and social media changes that mm -hmm. I also know a great deal about. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be really amazing. Um, we're offering it for free through the Amazon Kindle program, which the way that that works is it's free to anyone who's paying like the monthly Kindle membership. But mm -hmm as the author of the ebook, you still get paid for every download. So it's a really cool system. Um, you know, ebook money isn't necessarily huge money, but it's uh, passive. You know, once you've written the ebook, that's, you're not really doing any more work other than the natural work that I'm already doing, which is going on podcasts and writing content, um, which is what I like to do. It's not extra work for me. So that's one thing. Another thing is I've um, made more connections in the music industry that I've been able to monetize. So even before I was on LinkedIn, I started um, getting people message or emailing me uh, from TikTok who wanted to pay me to promote their song on one of my videos. Um, and so that's awesome. I, yeah, I knew that that was an opportunity um, that would be really big and I think is going to continue to be huge. Um, for anyone on that platform who has success because the number of music artists trying to make it who let's say have one to $500 and mm. can see that that would possibly be all that they needed to gain, you know, virality and enough attention to start getting like paid or a significant, you know, traction for their music career. Um, I think that there's probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if you're talking about global uh, mm -hmm. music artists. So that, that's going to be huge. I've definitely made uh, more connections on LinkedIn in that industry. And then um, in terms of other monetization opportunities, just, you know, it allows me um, an audience and a platform to start up this consultation um, business that I've really been kind of focusing on for the past two to three months very heavily. I'm so curious. Can you give us the name of a song that you've promoted and got paid for? Are yes. you allowed? Yeah. 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 None of them have given me any stipulations not to. So if you ever want to work with me and you don't want me to tell 
people what you paid me, you better make me sign for it. Because <laughs> I, I, I love to share information. And I think okay. that historically growing up, um, I've experienced a huge amount of people being secretive about money. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons people aren't successful. Like tell people how much money you made. Like what are, what, why, why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> I have so many more questions for you now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been paid anywhere from $25 because I was happy to do a discount and give an artist like uh, a chance at, you know, testing out their music to see if it went viral because I s totally support um, kind of upcoming artists and the struggle mm -hmm. of, of making it um, to, you know, $500 for a guarantee for a song that I guaranteed a million views on with a, a label. So um, Max, let's, let me see, I think I can remember the name. You know, I honestly don't remember the name of the artist off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's okay. Just sing it for us. It's fine. Don't oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I know that one artist, so this is a fun story. This is, this wasn't a paid opportunity, but I think it's a good story to tell. One of the artists that I just randomly chose their music. Cause I was like, Oh, this would be a cool song to put on, on my video. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's mostly how it goes is I'm just randomly, you know, listening to music and be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I think that would work well for the, the video um, is it was a pumpkin video and the song is called. <laughs> of course. The, yeah. The song is called Shining on My Ex um, okay. and it's by Baby No Money and Young Gravy. And the song um, started not only blowing up on TikTok in terms of the views on my video, but the song itself, people started using it in their videos. So before I posted it, you could go to the songs kind of page. You can click on any song and it takes you to a page where it shows you all the videos that anyone's okay. created for that song. Um, and before I posted the song, there were like 500 videos created for this song. And then I think like a week afterwards, there was like 20 to 50,000 videos that had been created using this song oh because people had seen it so much and been like, oh, I like that song too. I want to use it in a video. Um, I'm so curious. I'm totally going to go look up that song after. I'm sure yeah, I've yeah. heard it because I've been on the app. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, it, yeah, and it's a, it's a funny song. It's like, um, shining on my ex. What's next, bitch? Shining <laughs> on my ex. It, yeah, so it's got some funny lyrics and like a cool kind of um, tempo to it. <laughs> um, th those, that was those, great. That yeah, those, <laughs> two, those two are definitely some characters. I love both of them very much with their, their personalities and positivity. <laughs> um, <laughs> And oh, you just made so, my day. <laughs> yeah, so both Baby No Money and Young Gravy have both actually reached out and messaged me to thank me for promoting their song. And so now I'm in contact with both of those artists directly, and they each have um, so Baby No Money has like 550,000 followers on Instagram, and mm. Young Gravy has over a million followers on Instagram, which is a platform that I have, you know, many few followers, fewer <laughs> followers than that. So I have now the ability to possibly have their help growing on that platform. Also, Baby No Money offered me backstage tickets to his concert when he's coming to Seattle and to, down to California because now I'm in, down in California. Um, so I think that there's so many cool opportunities that can come out of, um, you know, just pursuing opportunity. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's true. Like you, you're putting yourself out there and that's what's getting you all this opportunity, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Just taking the leap. Yeah, I'm not seeing that there's something there and going after it mm -hmm. or something specific. I'm seeing that there's something, you know, not concrete there and I'm going after it and then being really excited about whatever materializes. And it's honestly a lot more fun that way because I think it's very easy to get disappointed when you have expectations, mm -hmm. um, especially when you really put a lot of hope and like love and, ex and excitement 
into that expectation. It can, it can hurt really bad when it doesn't work out the way you want. But if you go into something and you go, I think there's opportunity because I can feel it in my bones <laughs> and, let's, and let's see what happens here, that whatever happens, you're like, oh, cool, that happened. Awesome. Um, even if that thing's kind of small because you mm. weren't, weren't expecting it. Yeah, that's a great approach. I like it. And I, I like that you've, you've navigated on so many different platforms. And then also thank you for like sharing it with us. And I oh, kinda, of course. Yeah, I kind of just want to go back to LinkedIn a little bit. Yes. Because when, when did you go back on this, on this platform? Yeah, so that was about four months ago, I want to say. Um, how, so many, how many connections do you have now? I have 7,000 now. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've been on the platform for seven years and I have 3,000. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Again, I have, I think I've been able to leverage a lot of interest um, because I get a lot of people who send me a connection request because they go and then they'll message me and say, I see you're a TikTok expert because I list that right in my, um, mm -hmm. you know, the little bio line underneath yeah. your name. Um, yeah. And so I've just always, again, because I've paid attention to it, always really noticed what people are curious about. Um, and tapping into curiosity is such a powerful thing. Um, and so, you know, I think that that, that little line underneath people's LinkedIn um, names is a really powerful tool for getting people to want to reach out to you. Um, and I think a lot of people don't utilize that necessarily in a, in a, most advantageous way as they could because they're putting, oh, I'm, I'm a copywriter. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of maybe putting the most interesting thing in copywriting they've ever done, be like, I wrote copy for this particular book that people have heard of, or mm -hmm. you know, pull, out, pull out some factor that people can identify with on some level of interest. And then they're just kind of going to naturally want to reach out to you. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And then I've also just been posting a shit ton of content. So, <laughs> so I post like, you know, between three to, to eight pieces of content on LinkedIn per day. That's um, a lot. It is. And I, I post video. I post uh, PDF carousels. I post very short things. So I really keep it varied. Um, and I think that one, the algorithm really likes that. And then two, I'm able to hit on different audiences because different people like different types of content. And so mm -hmm. if you, if you post four different types of content, you're going to get shown to four different types of people versus if you just post one style of content, I think. So this is your learning phase on LinkedIn. You're kind of, you're kind of seeing what sticks. Yeah. Um, a little bit, honestly, everything's kind of been sticking like LinkedIn's great. And I think that <laughs> I, well, look I, at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've really, developed over the past 10 years a set of skills that has an incredible amount of value to so many people. Um, like, I'm not just a copywriter so mm -hmm. that people who need copywriting would be interested. I have really these um, interesting insights that apply to every single business owner or every single person that's struggling with financial issues or every single person that, um, you know, is getting like hate messages online. Like I can really relate on a one-on-one -on -one experience level to almost everything that anyone else could tell me that they've been through. Um, aside from, I would say a personal death in the family. That's one thing that I have not experienced. Like, you know, none of my parents and none of my siblings um, have died. And I, I have had a grandfather pass, but he, um, to be completely honest, he was not my favorite uh, grandparent. <laughs> so I'm, sh and I, I know that that has a huge effect um, because my grandmother is one of my favorite people on the planet. And I can kind of 
imagine a bit of how it how it might feel when when she passes. So um, that's something I haven't gone through on a personal level, but almost everything else I have. <laughs> well, it, I think real being relatable is is also part of your your X factor, like you said before, right. kind of how you're winning. And before we finish this all off, because I know I'm taking more of your time here. Um, oh, no problem. I honestly <laughs> love these conversations. So feel yeah, free if you have a couple more questions. It's so great. And you, you have so much experience for in so many different fields that, yeah, we can probably talk for another two hours, but don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just a couple more questions. <laughs> cool, cool. So my next question is about your consulting. Yes. Did that, did that emerge because you've been doing so well on all these platforms? Is that what the consulting is about on, on the, in the digital space? Not so much because I've been doing well. That's just really my leverage point. Okay. Um, why I'm doing consulting is because I've always loved teaching. That's honestly, mm -hmm. for me, one of the most rewarding parts of entrepreneurship is not my own success, but telling someone else a, a tiny piece of my success that changes their entire trajectory for their entire life. Um, and I've experienced that from my glass blowing business because I was very successful with that on social media right away. Um, I, I started giving out advice to people because I wanted mm -hmm. to see them, them be successful, um, especially my followers who had a, a business that wasn't directly competing with mine. So like, let's say they had a t-shirt business they were trying to get off the ground or, you know, mm -hmm. um, we're trying to sell um, a different type of art, like they painted. Um, so I always loved helping people because again, the emotional um, reward to you telling someone a piece of information, which is probably like the easiest thing you could possibly do in terms of effort. Um, and then them coming back and being like, you're the most amazing person in the world. This changed my life. I'm happier now. All, all these things is like, so like, that's an awesome thing everyone should get to experience. Um, and I also, I'm the oldest of, of four uh, children. So I've always kind of had to teach my, my brothers and sisters um, some, you know, some things and always, you know, my parents promoted, you know, you teach your your sister something and you do a good job, like you get rewarded and, you know, mm -hmm. praise. Um, so it's a little bit naturally built into uh, my personality from that. But then I think, you know, there were a lot of times in my life when I maybe wasn't making money or if I was making money, um, it wasn't enough to pay the debt that I had from, you know, mistakes I'd made. Or uh, like, for example, when I first started business, I didn't really know that I had to save money for taxes if I wasn't employed through a W-2 because um, mm -hmm. I was doing all this freelance writing and no one taught me anything about taxes, like zero, zero anything about taxes. So I didn't know that I had to pay them. I was like, cool, they're taking them just like everyone else's job. Um, <laughs> and, and then when I started my business with my husband and we started like a real LLC, um, the government was like, so you never filed taxes for this for like these years. And we had a huge amount of penalties because they, they charge you per member of your business. So it was basically like, 8,000 that I had to pay. And then also Ben had to pay 8,000, which just means we both had to pay 16,000 total. Um, yeah. So, you know, coming up from like those mistakes um, and, and just feeling like a level of frustration and hopelessness when it came to money, I had to find some other way to be happy. Um, and the best and easiest way for me to do that was to share my knowledge and information on what did work for me because other people didn't necessarily have those same struggles um, or obstacles and the information to them was even more valuable than it was to me. So if I could give them that information and then they were successful, it really in the end only helped, you know, was something good for me as well. 
I, I love that out of no matter what you've been through, you've always taken like a lesson from it and you've made yourself better and you've improved and, and, and now look at you. I love it. I love your story. I know. I know. It's, it's honestly, it's pretty cool because I feel like I'm still so early on in the book that is my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but so much has happened and so much progress has been made. Um, that it makes me really excited, not only for my future, but like for everyone else who's struggling, that it's really not a permanent struggle if you're mm -hmm. working on it every day. Um, even if it feels like you're making no progress from a day-to-day -day or a week-by-week -week standpoint, if I look back on the past 10 years, the amount of progress I made, and really when it all started to kind of come together on terms of my happiness and my business um, at the same time, that that was a result from all the days where I was trying, but it didn't feel like I was making progress. Um, even though it came kind of feel, it felt like, oh, all of a sudden, three months ago, I feel like I was super unhappy. And now I feel like I'm on top of the world on mm -hmm. a consistent like level where I can stay there um, emotionally, not just be like, oh, today was great. But like, then the next day I'm like really stressed out. Um, and that only came because of the previous 10 years of work on trying to figure out what does work for me, what doesn't work for me, um, you know, working on my patients, working on, you know, not judging others, just all these things that I think we all need to work on, um, that I'm still working on. Mm -hmm. um, but, but just the day-to-day the -day effort really does pay off over, over years. And that might sound a little hopeless in that, but like, we're all going to be here anyways, right? <laughs> so <laughs> might as well put in a little effort each day and realize that, time passes. And I think one thing that really helped me was to figure out how I could win the day. And I did that by honestly listening to um, Andy Frisella. He has a podcast called the MF CEO, which is the motherfucking CEO podcast. Um, okay. And he, he tells his story on a very personal level. It's a really great podcast to listen to for anyone who's struggling um, kind of emotionally or in business. Um, and he tells his story about how he started up his uh, supplements business with his partner. Um, they didn't make like a single dollar for like the first like seven months or something like that um, and had to get, you know, outside jobs just to pay for like this business that wasn't making them money. But they were really passionate about helping people um, and really passionate about figuring out kind of their own you know, emotional turmoil. Um, and, you know, one of the things that he went through is he actually got stabbed in the face. Um, what? Early, early, yeah. So he got stabbed in the face in this way where he, he survived and everything, but afterwards his face was swollen for like a year and it, you know, looked pretty bad. Like, you know, he was ugly, you know, what most people yeah. would consider ugly. And so dealing with that on a day-to-day -day basis in a social setting where he was a salesperson and people would come into the store and, you know, not look at him or like go, what the fuck happened to you? Like in a super mm -hmm. rude way. Um, really, you know, forced him to figuring out how to, how to deal with all these problems and run a business at the same time. And I think that that's definitely for anyone struggling, a really helpful thing um, to listen to. And for me, it was something where the, the most valuable point I got out of that was that if you can stop thinking about what's going to happen in a year or a week, and you can really focus on how to be happy just today and what things you need to do to accomplish that, then everything starts to fall into place. Um, and it actually, it's be, it becomes a lot easier. So for me, that was really figuring out how to have a good morning. If you can have a great morning, like the rest mm -hmm. of your day is, is probably going to go great too. And it's honestly, anything bad that happens after a great morning is much easier for you to 
um, deal with and not let it affect you as much because you kind of have this level uh, that you're, you're at before it hits you. So it doesn't drop you down super low. Um, and so I just, you know, I experimented. I was like, okay, do I need to exercise in the morning? Do I need to, um, you know, say affirmations in the morning? And I just tried out a bunch of different, different things until, um, you know, I paid attention. I was like, okay, this thing, this thing works for me. This thing really doesn't work for me. Um, and then at some point I was like, man, every morning is going really great now. And I feel so much better. And even if, you know, I have bills that are stressful, even if there's these other things in my life that aren't going according to plan or that objectively don't look very good, mm-hmm. um, I can still feel great because I conquered my morning. Like I made my morning good. I did that. Um, and I think there's a lot of power in that, especially when you're coming from a place where maybe a lot of mornings aren't good. You wake up and you feel depressed or you wake up and you feel not excited for the day. Um, and being able to kind of conquer that and realize I'm in control of how my morning starts because my brain is starting from like refresh. It's like, it should, my brain is starting from refresh. When you wake up, there's nothing there. And then you're putting thoughts in there, um, immediately. And so realizing, okay, how do I, if I'm having a bad morning, how do I make it? So whatever the very first thoughts in my head are like positive and helping me have a good emotional day and good emotional experience that motivates me. Um, for me, that's been very, very key. I think that's a great way, great piece of advice to end off this whole interview. You summarize how you basically grew yourself out of your struggles and how observing even your own habits have helped you through that. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. So Mayan, thank you so much for being here today. I love this conversation and, uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to you wanna say before we end the, the interview? Yeah, just, you know, thank you so much for having me. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, I'm always available and I answer absolutely every single message that comes my way and I plan to never, ever change that. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is M-A-A-Y-A-N and last name is G-O-R-D-O-N. And uh, yeah, pay attention because I'm about to do some fun things that are going to blow your mind. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you like this interview with Mayan Gordon. She provides so many good tips on building an Instagram account, a TikTok following, and how necessary it is to pay attention to everything you do. I particularly like how Mayan always leveraged her skills and was able to identify niches in different markets. Thanks for listening, everyone.